Welcome to Hoopstradamus Podcast. I'm Adam Schellis, with special guest on the line today, Kurt Schroeder from Reno, Nevada. My old colleague, my good friend. How you doing, buddy? Oh, Adam, I'm outstanding. After watching yesterday's Celtics game, I, I don't think I could be better. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. You know, uh, the Nuggets, they got my hopes up a little. But uh, as you know, I'm a Bulls fan, so I'm already dead inside. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I have my secondary teams to root for at this point. Have enjoyed the play of the Miami Heat and uh, just enjoying the uh, NBA playoffs in general. But uh, you, you said it, the Boston Celtics with a commanding victory uh, yesterday over the Toronto Raptors to make it a 3-2 series. Uh, you've been following the Celtics since the Antoine Walker days. Uh, you love this team. So what are your thoughts of the series so far? Um, I mean, it was tough to get over game three. You know, when you go up, uh, what was it, two two points with .5 left, and then you give up that three-pointer. I think that was heartbreaking. And then you, <laughs> That was insane. <laughs> and then you go into game four, and the Celtics just came out flat. And I think one of the things that I saw and I heard that really played into this was the fact that they let one bucket beat them twice. Mm. And that was pretty frustrating. But then you go into game five, it's tied two to two. I guess you could say the Raptors have the momentum having won two in a row, but at the same time, I think the Celtics are the better team. And they just came out and they were just firing on all cylinders. They were hitting their jumpers. They were hitting their three-pointers. Their defense was absolutely incredible. And so if this is the Celtics team that we see in game five, that we see in you know, six and hopefully not game seven, but I think that this is a team that can absolutely beat the Raptors and go even farther if they're playing the way that they did in game five. So we'll just have to see what happens. But I think yesterday's game, which was obviously a 22-point uh, victory for them, I think that's the best uh, basketball that they've played so far in this series, and hopefully it continues. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, pretty impressive to see uh, Jalen Brown getting out there. I mean, I remember when him and Tatum were just brand-new Celtics, you know, and Jalen Brown hardly played at all his rookie year, but then kind of had a little bit of uh, foreshadowing, if you will, his, his sophomore year with the Celtics. But we're starting to see him turn into that player. And honestly, I think kind of a, a fringe all-star type player. I think he's, he's got that kind of potential. But it's been very cool to see that young talent that uh, Brad Steven uh, kind of – was grooming really turn into some you could call it a juggernaut team in the east well certainly I think one of the things that we saw I believe it was over the all-star break when they were trying to figure out okay who is going to make the all-star team in the east the Celtics I believe had three players that were averaging 20 plus points on the season and that's something that no other team had and Jalen Brown was one of those guys you had Kemba Walker you had Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown and I agree with you I mean he was one of those guys that was definitely a freak athlete when they took him third overall back in 2016 but really I, I think kind of the the defense and certainly the shooting uh kind of remain to be seen yeah and you no know, he's definitely improved as a shooter I think that he's a lot better of, of a shooter than anyone really anticipated um if we could go back to 2016 I would have rather them take Jamal Murray um, for that shooting but at the same time I think Jalen Brown is a lot better than people thought he would be yeah. certainly four years in you know you get rid of Kyrie Irving which I think was kind of the big biggest reason why Tatum and Brown are as good as they are right now yeah, yeah. Um, you know the ball isn't stuck in one spot you have Kemba Walker he's moving the ball around he's a very selfless player 
He doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be successful. And I think when you do that and the ball doesn't stick, there are more shots to go around. And so you're just seeing Tatum and, and specifically Brown, to your point, really flourish when they're getting their opportunities, when they have more minutes on the floor. And it's just something they have more of an impact on the game when, you know, it's not just Kyrie Irving trying to ISO everybody. I'm glad you brought up Kyrie Irving here because I did want to ask because it seems like Celtics hands have a very unique relationship with Kyrie now. Uh, not a good one, maybe. How does that feel? What did I say Kyrie Irving? What kind of emotions come to your mind? <laughs> uh, honestly, mixed feelings. Because if you look at one side of the coin, which is where we are right now, I think a lot of Celtics fans are happier with Kemba Walker. Yeah. You know, if you were to compare their individual talents, you'd be like, okay, maybe Kyrie Irving is a more complete player. But, you know, whether it's Kyrie Irving in the Celtics system, whether it's Kyrie Irving just any system, period, maybe he's just not someone who worked in the Celtics system, whereas Kemba Walker does. I think it's just a more complete team. It's kind of addition mm. by subtraction when you get rid of Kyrie Irving, who's a better player. But then on the other side of the coin, if you look back to where they were a handful of years ago, I believe it was three years ago or whatever, and when they were kind of mulling, do we give Isaiah Thomas – the max deal that he had been looking for. Can you imagine and if they a lot did. of people were like, okay, he's certainly deserving of it based off of what he's given this team. But at the end of the day, he's a five, nine guard and he's not going to win you a championship. Yeah. What do you do here? Well, they flipped him for Kyrie Irving. So you have the, was Kyrie Irving the, the better option moving forward? Well, maybe not, but at the same time, they didn't get locked into an Isaiah Thomas deal that would be hurting them for years. Yeah. So, I think it was one of those things where in the short term, it looked pretty good. And then in the long term, they realized, okay, maybe we need to move in a different direction. So I'm kind of glad that they got rid of Kyrie Irving sooner rather than later so that they could let, you know, the younger guys really flourish. Marcus Smart's getting a lot of playing time. And I know that he's been in the league since 2014, but he's still pretty young. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I think, have just taken it to another level. So overall, are they as good as they could have been with Kyrie? Maybe not. but at least they didn't get locked into Isaiah Thomas for a handful of years. So I think is everyone is very blessed to see because he's been bouncing around ever since. Well, I mean, his leg fell off in uh, that series against the Cavs. Like he, he had a 50 burger. It was the shining moment of his NBA career. But the guy, his, I mean, like literally his hip fell off or something. It was absolutely insane. And he has not been the same basketball player since. And so it's crazy to think of like, what's happened in just a few years with Isaiah Thomas, because, you know, you can look at Kyrie Irving and you look at Isaiah Thomas and their legacy with the Celtics. I feel like Isaiah Thomas is going to be a legend in Boston. Oh, you know, like he's, he's about the same height as the, as the mascot too, but you know, I, sh I shouldn't rip on him. I'm also five, nine, but I'm not in the NBA. <laughs> And I look more like the mascot, but I digress. You got a little bit more leprechaun jeans than you. Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, uh, it's just crazy to see that's a guy who's, like, just begging to be on a roster now, you know, uh, kind of that Nate Robinson route, the, the short guy who proves to be a really good scorer, but then no one really wants to touch him. Uh, he was talking about how he would like to be with the Warriors. I think that would be fun. Uh, but it, it just blows my mind to see just how fast that fell apart for his career, frankly. Yeah, and I don't know if it was one of the things that 
you know, the, the hip derailed him. I think that he said, I mean, everyone's going to say something positive once they do kind of go through the rehab and the surgery process, they're going to say they're the same player. Um, but certainly from a Celtics fan standpoint, I think a lot of people just respected Isaiah Thomas a little bit more. You know, when mm. he came back and played in that game after so his much hard. Yeah, I think it was like a, a day later or even less than a day later when he found that out. And the dude just, he's a grinder. He busts his tail. And mm. I think one of the things that Celtics fans did not appreciate about Kyrie Irving, and like I said, I'm not a team doctor, but they just seemed like you'd get a couple games out of him, then he'd sit. Yeah, a couple games out of him, then he'd sit. And it would be some sort of injury where you're watching the game and you're like, well, the injury that followed after the two previous games that he had played, that didn't really look like it amounted to anything. And so you're like, are they phantom injuries? Is it something where, you know, you just question like his heart and stuff like that. But Isaiah Thomas, I think like, you know, whether he was successful or not, you knew that you were getting a grinder every single time that he took the floor. And that's something that I think just, you know, whether it's the Celtics, the Bruins, the Patriots, and the Red Sox, if you have a guy that goes out there, whether he's the best player on the team, whether he's not the best player on the team, if he's a role player, you get a guy that just really grinds and busts his tail and does everything that he possibly can to help the team succeed. I think that that is something that warrants respect, whether it's in Boston or anywhere across the country. And I don't know if you're going in this direction, Adam, but Brad Wanamaker and Daniel Tice, those are true Celtics players. That is what we want to see on a regular basis, kind of the unsung heroes that really uh, do well for them. Interesting, interesting. I've actually – I've been unsure of Tice all year. Ooh. So, so sell me. Oh, man. I mean, just every time you watch the games, he's, he's not going to fill up the stat sheet, but I think every time that he's out on the floor, they're just a better team. Um, you know, specifically against Toronto, he's only 6'8". And so I think that they play kind of a smaller ball lineup. But when you look at Toronto, they're not playing big either. Right. Know, they're playing uh, OG at the five. Sometimes they bring in Serge Ibaka. He plays the five. Uh, Marcus Saul really isn't someone that's had much of an impact on the series. But he's just a guy who, you know, he's there on the help defense. He rotates well. He doesn't foul. He gets rebounds when he needs to get rebounds. He'll hit like a baseline J once in a while. He's really good in the pick and roll with Kemba Walker. So he's just not someone that's going to hurt you. And I think yesterday he was five for five for 15 points and had a handful of boards and just kind of gets in the passing lane, just really disrupts things for people. And I think that if you were to put him up against, uh, you know, like an Anthony Davis or someone down the road, he would struggle just because he's not that big. But certainly small ball matchups where he is playing the five at six, eight, I think that he's just extremely effective. And you look at guys who, you know, one of the things that I think makes players successful is they don't get outside of their role. They don't try to do too much. You don't see Daniel Tice step out and get a contested three-pointer because he knows that that's not his game. Right. So he just plays really well within the system, does what he's asked. And one of the things that I saw yesterday was a couple of times where he did get called for fouls. Um, Stan Van Gundy was like, this is a guy that doesn't complain. And if he's, you know, complaining about fouls, Typically, he's right. And you look at it, and both of the times that he got called for fouls early on in the game, they weren't fouls. So he's just a really smart basketball player that I think could play well in any sort of system just because I think he's, like, extremely coachable. I think he's going to have his work cut out for him uh, next round mm-hmm. uh, when they face the Miami Heat. Can we just, like, assume the Celtics are going to win the series, right? I know I, the, the I, Raptors I, are pesky. <laughs> I mean, Adam, to be honest with you, I, 
they are the better team, but like Toronto is just one of those. They teams. just won't go away. Yeah, they don't go away, and you don't know how they're in the game. Yeah, but they just are. I mean, when you have Kyle Lowry out here taking you know two to three blocking calls a game, I mean, that's Kyle Lowry's specialty. I think he even took a, a charge in the All Star game or something. Yeah, so he's just a guy who's going to keep you in games. And they ripped off a stat, a stat yesterday that said that the uh, Raptors were the number two defensive team in the regular season and the top defensive team in the bubble. So you're not going to get anything easy against them. And so when you have a really good defensive team and it makes things difficult for the Celtics, they're not getting out in transition and getting buckets. They have to earn everything in a half-court set, which I think is just extremely difficult to do against a great defensive team. Yeah, totally. I'm not going to count out the Raptors. I just hope that the Celtics can get it done (laughs) in game six and then hopefully not have to go to a game seven where anything could happen. But the Celtics are the more talented team, and I just hope that they prove it. I mean, it just seems like – even the the game three, like they were the better team, <laughs> you know, like OG Ananobi has to hit a shot with half a second left, uh, which was incredible, by the way. And I like that uh, Jalen Brown kind of baptized him with a little revenge dunk. Uh, but yeah, uh, they shouldn't have won that game. <laughs> like Kemba made that beautiful backdoor pass. It was locked up and the Raptors got lucky. And I think they're on the brink of extinction, uh, if you see uh, it. <laughs> uh, yes. I knew we get a little fooism in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I just don't – I don't get it, man. I think that the Raptors uh, are so well coached. And as you mentioned, the, the defense, when you have all that length out there, like Kyle Lowry's been – like I, re- I remember kind of getting onto him when he was with the Houston Rockets – and I'm just like, damn, this dude, Lowry, is really scrappy. He's obviously, you know, moved around. Now he's found a home in uh, in Toronto. But the dude's one of the peskiest uh, on-ball defenders in the league. And Fred Van Vliet's turned into a really pesky defender in similar ways. Uh, you know, you could say the same thing uh, uh, on wing defenders, too, when you have Ananomi and uh, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam. I think, as I mentioned to you yesterday, I think is a little overrated. I think people kind of treat him or talk to him about him like he's some sort of star. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's necessarily a star. Uh, but he is a better defensive player than he is offensive player. He can guard the, the paint or the perimeter. And then Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. So it's really hard to score on them. But of all the guys I mentioned, Fred Van Vliet's the only one where I'm like, go get me a bucket. Like Lowry to some degree. But – I look at the Celtics and they're elite on both ends. You know, maybe they're not quite as good defensively as uh, Toronto is, but they're way better offensively. And, you know, Tatum and Brown are both really, really good defenders. Uh, Tice, even Robert Williams, I think, has really uh, played an important role in this series. And Marcus Smart, he's maybe the most annoying guard in the league you know sometimes I call him Marcus dumb on the offensive side with some of the decisions he makes but I mean the dude's a dog and I feel like it, it, I'm I almost thought it was going to be a sweep for a second there but who knows here we are I, I think it should have been a sweep to be honest um, Toronto is just one of those teams where in the regular season obviously their record is you know shows who they are they're an extremely good basketball team but yeah. you, know, you look at the roster and you know they lost 
uh, Kawhi Leonard, which is, you know, one of the best players in the league. So you yeah. can plug somebody in to replace him. But everybody else that they had was also kind of getting a little bit older, too. Like, Marcus Gasol is just not the guy in Memphis that we saw. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam, I, I don't know if he's gotten better from last year, to be honest. I think one of the things that I've noticed in this series, which has played into the Celtics' hand, is Pascal Siakam just takes a ton of three-pointers. And he's not a three-point shooter. So I think that he needs to be a little bit smarter. Um, to go back to your point about, you know, anyone on the Raptors getting you a bucket, I think that, you know, Kyle Lowry is a quick guy. I think that he can get to the line. I don't know if he can really create his own shot. Um, Fred Van Vliet is just incredible off of a play that Nick Nurse draws up. And I think one of the things that makes the Raptors dangerous is you don't really have a guy that's going to take you at the top of the three-point line and, you know, create his own shot. I think Siakam could do that to a certain extent, but they just draw it up for whoever is available. Mm. You know, the Ananobi play, when you have Kyle Lowry, who's, Five five hitting it over eight foot eleven <laughs> taco fall, um, you know, perfect pass right in the pocket to OG. It was just, you know, they're willing to go to their their fifth best starter, and so I I think Nick Nurse obviously is coach of the year for good reason. He's mm-hmm. an incredible coach, and so you know if you were to just draw it up for someone who can get you a bucket or go to just you know whoever's available on a play that Nick Nurse draws up, I think that's what makes Toronto dangerous, but. Again, the Celtics, I think, have everything that it takes to not only win this series, but go to the NBA Finals, and they just have to go out and do it. They, they kind of remind me of the uh, Chicago Bulls when Derrick Rose was hurt. You know, like, they still have some really good players. They got Luol Deng, they got Joe Noah, uh, but they don't have the true star. They're going to be a really tough out. They're going to play really good defense, but I don't think they're a real threat uh, without – this is a stars league, right? And, you, you know, we're talking about Pascal Siakam. Uh, he's not he's, he's not having a great postseason, frankly, or at least uh, not offensively. He's shooting 21% from three. And uh, he shot 36 in the regular season. His uh, points per game are down from 23 to 18. And we're seeing other players who are stepping up in the biggest moments, which is the playoffs. And uh, he's clearly not that guy, at least not yet. And so I feel like that's where uh, I think that the better team is just going to win. You know, Nick Nurse, if you gave him maybe one more toy, it might be something different. And look out for the Raptors, depending on what they do in the offseason, because they're not going anywhere for years. And they are one piece away. Uh, And you give them somebody who's not – it doesn't even have to be Kawhi Leonard, but they are – they're this deep in it for a reason. They're they're putting up this kind of fight against a really good team for a reason. So can't really count out Nick Nurse, but I do think that the Celtics advance, which leads me to a question for you. How do you think they'd fare against a potential matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks? Or I'm sorry, the Miami Heat. I keep saying the uh, Milwaukee Bucks because yeah. it's just it's shocking, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I mean Quickly, I think Milwaukee on paper was the best team constructed, and they have been for a couple of years. So I think if the Celtics did run into the Milwaukee Bucks, because they're not out of it. I mean, technically, it's 3-1. So, you know, there there will be more basketball to be played. But I think that, you know, with a healthy Giannis, the Celtics had no chance against the Bucks. I think the Bucks were just too big. But hopefully Miami does win that series. Hopefully Boston wins this series and we get a Heat-Celtics matchup. But when you look at the Miami Heat, they're obviously a great team, top to bottom. Got so many players that I think are playing beyond their capabilities. Um, you know, when you have Goran Dragic, 
Goran Dragic, can't even say his name because he's been irrelevant for so long, but this year <laughs> just been so good, you know, dialing it back to like 2014 with the He's Suns. been a silent sniper. He's been yeah. good. He's, he's just been better, you know? Yeah. Um, I love Tyler Hero's game. Yeah. I mean, I think that that dude is going to be an absolute stud. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn is back. He was obviously second in the rookie of the year voting. He hasn't really played all that well, but I think that if he gets up to speed, that he could be dangerous. Um, Duncan Robinson, an elite three-point shooter. Uh, one of the things that I think could cause the Celtics major issues is Bam Adebayo. He yeah. is an all-star this year, um, certainly played that the level of basketball that I think a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, hope that he was going to play. Um, but he has just been absolutely amazing. And then Jimmy Butler, as you mentioned, you got people in the playoffs that are just dogs. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler's a dog. He's been a dog since even he was coming off the bench in Chicago. He's just yeah. like, I've been homeless at age 13, had no offers out of college, went to the JUCO route, proved myself at Marquette. I mean, this dude gets everything that he has worked for. Yeah. So I think overall, when you still look at it from a talent standpoint, I think the Celtics could still beat the Heat. I think it'd be a long series, but I like the Celtics matched up better against the Heat than I would the Milwaukee Bucks. And I even think the Celtics could pull it off without Gordon Hayward, who's going to be out, what is it, four to six weeks. So I think that he's a couple of weeks into that process. But as a Celtics fan, I would much rather see the Heat than the Bucks, unless Giannis is really hurt and can't really move. Then I think that, <laughs> A lot of teams could beat Milwaukee without probably the back-to-back uh, MVP award winner. Because so, Giannis takes away Tatum. Oh, I mean, and, you know, the Celtics don't have anyone to stop Giannis. Because yeah. He's so, yeah. Big. so, I mean, really, who can stop Giannis? But, you know, when you look at the Celtics, you have Tice. He's just too undersized. Um, the Celtics do have big bodies on the bench that they just don't play. And I don't know if that is something because of the way that Toronto matches up with them. But... You know, Ennis Cantor, I think, is a good offensive player and a great rebounder. Horrendous complete, defender. Yeah, complete liability. Like, maybe the worst defender in the league. Yeah, I'm, I don't have the numbers with me, but I would not bet against that. Uh, he gets beat really often. <laughs> yeah, bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Taco Fall's not even dressed, and I don't think that he's ready to take on a heavy workload. Uh, Vincent Poirier, he's just a guy that doesn't freaking play anyway. So I think that one of the things that could do the Celtics in is if they get a guy who can go against them, who is a true big. But I also think that Brad Stevens is an amazing head coach and the Celtics were fourth in team defense in the regular season. So they'll find a way to take the ball out of Adebayo's hands and maybe get someone else to beat you. I just hope it's not Jimmy Butler. Uh, You know, a a few things you mentioned there. One, uh, Jimmy Butler and, you know, playing his way at Marquette. I just love that they have him and Crowder reunited you know, a couple of college teammates at Marquette. And another thing about the kind of players you see come out of that program, like you think of uh, the Dwayne Wades, Wesley Matthews, uh, and these two on the Miami Heat, they're all tough as nails. You know, uh, they're a little more clutch than given credit for. I mean, Crowder's hit some big shots, even with the Celtics. Uh, But those guys are tough. Those guys are going to take it personally. And that kind of is who the Miami Heat are. They play with a little bit of an edge, you know. They know that uh, they were a 31-1 to uh, odds to win the championship. Now it's 5-1, to one, last I checked. Uh, but going into the playoffs, they were 31-1. to one. They didn't give a shit. <laughs> They're going to come out and punch you in the mouth. And uh, 
when you have the combination of toughness, defense, and shooting slash floor spacing, you put that in the bubble where it's a shooter's world and a lot of that crowd noise, I mean, the crowd noise isn't even there, right? I think that that could bode well for a team like the Miami Heat. Uh, you mentioned Bam Adebayo. The best passer in the history of the center position, not close, is Nikola Jokic. But the second best passer in the league from that position is probably Bam Adebayo. I don't know if you want to call him a power forward or a center. Uh, does a little bit of both out there. But the fact that they can play through so many guys and continue to uh, make the defense hustle around trying to close out on guys like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson or even Jay Crowder. Uh, and, and Jimmy Butler, I think Jimmy Butler was just fucking with everybody. He's been able to shoot the threes. He's just like, let me troll everyone so they don't guard me in the playoffs and I'll have all these open looks because they'll think I can't hit. But I can hit. I'm just, I'm just trolling. You know, that's the Jimmy Butler move. But I, I look at that potential series with Boston, then on the other side of that coin, we have all the weapons that we already mentioned. Like, that is destined to go seven games. I think that would be an absolute war and maybe lay down uh, the foundation for, like, a nice rivalry for the next five years or so. Yeah, I think it depends on who stays for either team. Um, one of the things I want to bring up to your point about Jimmy Butler is when he signed with Miami in the offseason, uh, he had a quote. And I imagine that you remember the quote. He's like, people think that I suck at basketball. He's like, no, like, I'm going to Miami. We're going to win. This isn't like me going there to get the money. And so I think a lot of people question, like, oh, why wouldn't you stay in Philly? On paper, it looks a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, you just have guys that are dogs. And, you know, Marcus Smart is one of those dogs on Boston. You're just going to have a guy who, you know, he's going to take the ball out of people's hands on a drive, like, against Fred Van Vliet and just do all these dirty – not necessarily dirty plays, but dirty work plays Yeah, a lot of people aren't willing to do. And yeah. so I think that, you know, if you go into a series against Miami, I think that Miami might have a little bit more dog in them than Boston does. I think it just depends on does Jason Tatum have a little bit more of an edge? Does Jalen Brown have a little bit more of an edge? I think it remains to be seen because I think that they look like nice guys. They're like, uh, you know, I'm going to dunk on you and I'm going to scream in your face and then I'm going to quietly go back and play some defense. But, you know, <laughs> it, maybe, maybe they just, you know, channel a little bit more in here when they go uh, uh, hopefully against Miami in the next series. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I like both teams, just top to bottom. I think that they're quality teams, extremely well coached. Uh, you mentioned how well Eric Spolstra can adjust. And one of the things that I've noticed watching a few Miami Heat games this year in the postseason is they have kind of their, I think it's the final eight minutes when they throw out, you know, Drogic, uh, Robinson, Hero, Crowder, and Butler. And sometimes I don't know what the exact lineup is, but they have Bam in there too. And mm -hmm. they just have guys down the stretch that they absolutely trust. Yeah. And they're like, you know, we're going to lock down on defense. We're going to play team basketball. We're going to get the best look possible. And I think that that's what's going to win you games when you don't have, uh, you know, kind of a superstar. I know that Kemba Walker is a kind of a fringe superstar. I think Jimmy Butler, depending on how he's feeling on a day, could, you know, either be a superstar. He's certainly a star. Yeah. I think everybody else kind of just needs to rise to the occasion and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting one. So uh, for the last little segment on here, uh, you had a take on Twitter 
you had to take uh, right in my, my cell phone. I believe you even told me. You said that the Houston Rockets are going to beat the L.A. Lakers. And lo and behold, they take game one. And then they go on this run in the third quarter for game two. And they've made it a, f- a really competitive series. And whether or not it goes the way you said it would as far as them winning, you know, we'll see. That's yet to see. But you were right. The Rockets are giving the Lakers a lot of trouble. Why did you think this was going to happen? What are you seeing so far? Um, well, to be, let's see, completely objective, and then I'll get to my subjective stance. Um, <laughs> Perfect. But I, I think that, you know, when you have two MVP candidates in your backcourt, and Russell West, or not candidates, but people who have won MVPs in the past, and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, that's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, I think Eric Gordon is a very underrated guard as well that they throw out there. And so you have kind of three guards that are very, very good basketball players. That is tough to guard when you have, you know, Rajon Rondo isn't the defender that we've seen. He also doesn't get a ton of minutes. Uh, KCP isn't a great defender. Avery Bradley um, obviously isn't in the bubble. So defensively for LA, I think it's very difficult to guard those guards. And then I found this stat uh, I, I technically didn't find it. My friend sent it to me. Um, but the guy who defends Anthony Davis the best over the course of this season, for whatever reason, I don't know how. There were stats on this. It doesn't make sense. It, it proved, doesn't make sense. But 6'6", six, six, P.J. Tucker, is apparently the toughest matchup for Anthony it's Davis. 6'6", six, six is generous. Yeah, I, I don't know how. I don't know why it works. But when you look at P.J. Tucker going up against Anthony Davis, he's waving his arms. He's in his face. He's changing his stance. He does the same thing with LeBron. And I don't know if it's kind of getting in their head. I imagine that both of those players are extremely strong mentally. So I don't think that it would phase them. They've also played a ton of basketball. But he just makes people uncomfortable. And when you don't allow people to get into rhythms offensively, that is a struggle. Um, I also think that Houston is one of those teams where they shoot a ton of three-pointers. So if they miss they're obviously going to come back on defense because they're spread out around the perimeter. So you're not going to get many transition buckets or easy buckets uh, against them as well, even though they're a terrible defensive team. Um, I think they've also risen. But they've been, like, good defensive. Yeah, they've they've risen to the occasion. Yeah. can't believe we're saying this, but when James Harden won the game against Oklahoma City on a defensive play, that's something that he won the game against the Bucs on a defensive play. Yeah, so I think just the pairing of P.J. Tucker's defense with the elite backcourt that Houston has, I believe it was game one when Houston won by 15 or whatever it was, and uh, I believe it was 83 points of the 112 for Houston came from Harden, Westbrook, and Gordon. And so it's just elite guard play going up against a team that has kind of elite, I don't want to say bigs. Anthony Davis is a big, of course, but LeBron James, I think, is a, is a forward. And he's kind of a bigger guy. He's a freight train when he wants to get out and transition. Um, I, I just think it's a good little chess matchup there. And we'll just see what, what works out. Is it going to be LA's consistency and kind of just the better overall talent and system? Or is Houston going to be able to shoot the lights out like they had against uh, Golden State in those years when they would take the, a really, really good Warriors team to, uh, you know, six and seven games? So we'll just see what plays out. But really what it comes down to, Adam, aside, you know, facts aside, I hate LeBron James. I just, <laughs> I, I, there it I, is. I just want the guy to, you know, whether it's this series, whether against the Clippers, whether it's against whoever comes out of the East in the NBA Finals, should they get there. 
I love watching LeBron fail. Yeah. Uh, he has been a guy since obviously the, you know, whether you want to put him one or two, top two talents of all time. An absolute incredible talent. And I think that everybody's blessed to be living where they are right now, watching this man in year 17 still being an MVP candidate. It's probably. Yeah. Um, but, you know, three and six in the finals, hilarious. Yep. Uh, since 2010, he's handpicked his teams. Yep. Um, with the exception of the first year that he was with the Lakers, where they were trying to figure out, okay, obviously he's not going to win anything with Lonzo Ball. And, and even Brandon then, Trump. to some degree, I mean, he tried so hard to get Anthony Davis there a few months earlier. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, so now that he has, you know, I think it's depending on what your opinion is, if you look at the roster that the Lakers have, they have two of the top four players in the league, in my opinion. So if you have that going for you, really surprising that the guy is always in the playoff mix I mean like he's obviously a great player but are people really like oh the greatness of LeBron James is really LeBron I'm like uh, Dwayne Wade Chris Bosh yeah James oh yeah Bale. Kevin Love was pretty good Kevin Love <laughs> yeah, was like, like he was what a 26 and 14 guy with the Timberwolves yeah yeah left the role. but I mean these are not scrubs Anthony Davis one of the best talents that I think that we've seen from a big ever yeah, he can play one through five, an elite defender. I just hate everyone kind of fluffing LeBron, and you get everybody else that is yeah. really contributing, and everyone's just like, ah, no, it's LeBron. It doesn't matter who he has. Yeah. No. yeah. I, I feel either. And especially, you know, me being a Bulls fan, it's legacy versus legacy right now. So you bet your ass I want to see LeBron lose. I want to see him lose in the first round. I want to see Damian Lillard knock out LeBron. Now I want to see James Harden knock out LeBron. If not, I know Kawhi will because <laughs> that's a deeper team. That's a more complete team. Uh, and I think that the, the Clippers, if I had to pick a team coming out of the West right now, uh, it would be the Clippers. Going into the year, I, I thought it would be the Lakers. Uh, they've looked good, but they've also looked kind of shaky. It seems like LeBron likes to lose game one. Doesn't like to, but it seems like it happens a lot, and then he just wins the next four. And so we'll see what happens there. But – yeah, man, the, the Rockets present a lot of interesting challenges to the Lakers. Uh, they're like Dwight Howard, not that he was getting a ton of minutes anyway, but he is like not allowed to be on the floor. You know, <laughs> he'd be a liability. And, uh, you know, JaVale McGee's biggest presence is coming from the bench right now. And so they are forcing the Lakers into uh, their style of play, if you will. Uh, I think the Lakers are capable – of going small ball, but I don't think that they can beat the Rockets at that game. And the real key uh, is the turnover numbers. You know, I believe Houston had 13 steals in game one, and that's how they get you. They've sacrificed height for quickness, and uh, they actually – I mean, it's not conventional by any stretch, but they've been playing good defense. And a big part of that is just forcing turnovers. And then it's like they'll get a steal and then they'll either hit a three or go to the foul line. And it's crazy like a fox, you know, like maybe it'll work. We don't know. I, I, that's one of the big themes that uh, we talked about the last few months on this show is like, what the fuck are the Rockets doing? And could it work? You know, we, you, they literally don't have a center. B.J. Tucker was listed as a small, as a small forward for years. 
<laughs> you know, now he's your six five guy you're gonna put on Anthony Davis, and for some reason he does a good job. None of it makes sense, Kurt. I don't get it. I'm I'm confused. I love Rob Covington. Just want to throw that out there. Chicago guy. You know, but I don't know. I don't know. But go Rockets. I hope they destroy LeBron. Same here. Yeah, I think that the Rockets teams of, you know, 2016, 2017, I think that they really do miss a guy like Clint Capella. I think that he was an absolute game changer for them. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. And I, I don't necessarily want to call Russell Westbrook an X factor because he's an MVP and the guy just stuffs the stat sheet. But, I mean, you can't have Russell Westbrook go for 10 points. He's yeah. got to do a little bit better than that, whether it's shot selection, whether it's driving kicks. I don't know, but he needs to be effective. He's looked rusty. Yeah, one of the things that we saw in game two was, you know, they got blown out in the first quarter. I mean, it was like, what, 21-point lead for L.A.? Yeah, running away in the first half. They just kind of chipped away at it, got close down the stretch there. I think that uh, when I turned the TV on again, they got within like six at one point. I don't know if it got closer. But if Russell Westbrook can get you more than what he gave you in game two, it becomes even more competitive. And what we've seen so far in games one and two is it already is competitive. So we'll, we'll see. I expect the Lakers, you know, on paper, they're a little bit better. Um, but I think, you know, the, the way that you win basketball games now and what Golden State has shown us and the Rockets too over the last few years is, you know, three points is more than two. Yeah. So if you hit your threes and the Lakers, they have some three-point shooters, but, you know, KCP's not all that consistent. I think Danny Green's been a little bit worse than what people expected. These are two uh, guys who might be washed. So – we'll see but I, I think that Houston if they can hit their three-pointers I think it's going to give LA a, a pretty tough time yeah yeah I mean you put the ball inside the hoop and that's the way the game is played you know yeah. and three is more than two and so that's uh that's I guess their formula crazy like a fox we'll see we'll see I love D'Antoni ball if, if, if they uh don't advance and he gets fired uh front of the program lubes as you call him reed lubin really wants him to coach the pelicans which i think would be just the most fun fit in the world like yeah. give give him zion give him lonzo and just let him run you know everything would work a lot better than uh, alvin gentry but i do have respect for uh what dan tony's done and it's at least working to some degree uh I do think the Lakers still win that series, but I, I am pulling for the Rockets. Do you think the Rockets still pull it off? Yes. Love it. Love it. You I, heard I, it here first. I, it's, it's so hard when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, you can't bet against them. But, but you just did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate LeBron, okay. I'm going with a team until LeBron loses. So, you know, I, I think if the Lakers get to the finals, I think they could beat, you know, any of the teams remaining in the East. Um, I really think that the the teams that can knock them out, I think Houston can get it done. You know, the, the best team doesn't necessarily already all, always win. So, you know, I think if Houston can pull it off here, uh, that would be absolutely incredible. I I want – yeah, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going here, Adam. If all the right. Lakers win, it is a full-blown guarantee that the Clippers will knock them out. Okay. Okay, there we go. Heard it here first. Uh, yeah, we'll have to have you on again soon to talk about the Celtics as they advance for their series against the Heat. We'll have to get a jump shot Jesus, Stefano Bajos, our uh, resident yoga teacher and Heat, heat guy uh, on the show with us to talk about that one. So uh, 
yeah this has been a fun one man thank you for hopping on for sure thanks for having me adam appreciate it absolutely we'll talk to you soon